You have been listening to sermon audio from Day 3 Church. We invite you to join us for one of our worship services. For more information, visit day3church.com. Do you ever remember a time in your life that you received an encouraging letter or maybe an encouraging note or a card uh, from somebody? You might have been going through a difficult time in your life for various reasons. It could have been because of a relational issue you were going through. It could have been a sickness or illness. It could have been your finances. It could have been a situation at work or whatever. But you're just really discouraged and you're down and out. And somebody sent you a letter, a note, and it just kind of came at the exact right time. And it helped to lift your spirits and encourage you. Especially if you received a letter from somebody who had been through something very similar to what you had faced, or maybe the letter was from someone that had been through much worse than you were going through, then that note might have especially have blessed you. And here's why. Because if someone writes to you out of the similar experience that you're going through, or somebody writes to you to encourage you that's been through much worse, they are writing from a standpoint of authenticity. They are writing from a standpoint of their own experience. They are writing to you, and you understand that because they have been through something similar or much worse, it's almost like they have the right to speak to you. They they have the knowledge, they have the experience that they've been through to encourage you. And that's what we're basically going to see today in a, in a letter that Jesus wrote. We're doing a series that we call Seven Letters. It's based on the seven letters that he writes to the seven churches in Revelation. Last week, we started out talking about a letter of forsaken love. Because as he wrote there to the church at Ephesus, they had evidently somehow left their first love. And Jesus reminds them that they need to return to their first love. Maybe they weren't loving him as much as they used to. Maybe they were just a very busy church and appeared to be a very successful church. But for whatever reason, no matter how much they seem to have going on, Jesus said, you need to return to your first love. You need to remember and repent or I'm going to come and take your light away as a church, your lampstand. Today, what we're looking at is this, the second letter that Jesus writes. It was really one scroll, and you can look back in chapter 1 of Revelation and find that. It was one scroll that was written that Jesus dictated to the apostle John, and he wrote it down. And then it was sent out to these seven churches. So the second message in this one scroll, we're going to look at from this standpoint. It's a letter to the church at Smyrna, and it is a very, I think, encouraging letter. A very encouraging letter. Matter of fact, if you'll compare to what, what he says to Smyrna to some of the other churches, this is one of the churches that Jesus doesn't have any complaint about whatsoever. He does not criticize them in any way whatsoever, as he does some of the other churches that we'll see in this series that we're going to be looking at. The people at Smyrna, the believers at Smyrna were, were persecuted. They had been so persecuted, it was a fairly small group of believers. They needed an encouraging word. Jesus understood everything that they were going through. Some history tells us that on their way to worship, 
This small group of believers, as they would go to worship and people figured out in that city, which, by the way, was a very heathen-type city, a lot of worship of idols and false gods, and those people figured out that this group of believers were following Jesus and they were going to worship, sometimes they would stand along the pathway that they knew some of the families would take to go to a place of joint worship, and they would ridicule them and make fun of them and throw things at them. There's even one report of them being and hit in the face with animal dung, animal poop, as they're on their way to worship. And that's just the tip of the iceberg of what you'll see really took place in Smyrna. They needed encouragement. I mean, I ask myself, and I hope you'll ask yourself after you see the rest of some things that people face for the name of Christ that we're going to deal with in today's message, I wonder today... How many people would show up? How many of you would come today with animal dung on your face? Or do you thought, well, I can't go to church now. I might as well turn around and go back home. They were persecuted. And Jesus writes them some words that I think should have been very encouraging. I think they would have been encouraging words to John also. who gets to write these words down as Jesus dictates them to him for this very reason. Remember where John's at? He's on the Isle of Patmos. Remember why he's exiled there? He's exiled there because of his testimony and his witness for Jesus. I think John would have appreciated these words, and I think we today can really appreciate and gain some encouragement from these words of Christ. Look what he says in these verses, verse 8 through 11. To the angel of the church in Smyrna write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last, who died and came to life again. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you are rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. He who has an ear to hear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. Before we jump into this, I want to set some needed context or some needed information again out of chapter 1 for us. See, Jesus lets us know up front that the seven stars that he had in his hand are the seven angels or the seven pastors, the seven messengers to these churches. He also told us that the seven golden lampstands are the seven churches. So it's not like we have to debate this, whether or not what it means, and you know, prophetically or whatever. Jesus tells us what it means. And the way that I feel led of God to approach this series is not so much from a prophetic standpoint, but from a practical standpoint. 
I understand, you know, people feel like there's a lot of prophecy in Revelation. I'm not denying that. I'm just saying I think God wants us to focus upon these seven letters to these seven churches in a practical way to where we look and try to apply them to our lives and to our church today. So what are some encouraging words that we can, that we can gain from the passage of Scripture that we just read? If you're following along in your notes inside the updates we gave you, there's a place you can fill in the blank. And here's your first one as we look at these encouraging words. First of all, we have encouraging words from the one who fully understands the need of encouragement. Jesus, the one that is given this letter to John to write down. Jesus, the one that is speaking here. Jesus fully understands better than anybody else, the need of encouragement. Jesus, because of who he is, and Jesus, because of what he had been through, he understood what these believers in Smyrna were going through. He understands what you go through in your life. He could speak to it more fully than anybody else and understand why someone would need encouragement. Look what he said there in verse 8 again. We read it a moment ago. But he says to the angel... Or to the pastor, the angel of the church in Smyrna, write, These are the words of him who is the first and the last who died and came to life again. Break that down just a little bit. To begin with, we have encouraging words to and through Jesus' messenger. Because he is writing to the pastor of the church in Smyrna. That's who this letter is going to initially to the angel, to the pastor of the church in Smyrna, right. He's given encouraging words to and through Jesus' ministry. They're encouraging words to Jesus' messenger for this reason. This man was the pastor of the church in this area. Guess who, if Satan is going to try and launch an attack, guess who would be a primary target for persecution? You guessed it, the pastor of the church. If he wanted to really try and discourage someone, why not start at the head of that local church? Why not try and discourage him? So Jesus here is writing encouraging words to start with to his own messenger, to the person that's the pastor of this church. That pastor would have been discouraged himself because of situations that he was facing or situations that he was going through in his own life. Not only would he be encouraged about his own life because of persecution taking place, if he, in fact, had a real pastor's heart, he would have been discouraged about what his people were going through. He would have been hurting because he was seeing that his people were hurting, that his people were being afflicted, that his people were being persecuted, that his people were going through poverty in some of the situations that we're going to look at here. So this message is to the pastor, but it's also through the pastor because he's going to be communicating these encouraging words to a body of believers who's being persecuted and hurt and hunted down for the sake of Jesus Christ. That's how this letter comes to start with, encouraging words to the pastor's heart, but also through the pastor's heart, through Jesus' messenger to this body of believers. We also have some encouraging words here for this reason, encouraging words from the eternal one. Look what Jesus said, how he, how he phrased this. These are the words of him who is the first and the last. 
Same thing, basically, is saying, I'm the Alpha and I'm the Omega. Jesus did not have his beginning in Bethlehem when he was born. Jesus is eternal God. God just became flesh in that moment in Bethlehem. He's the eternal God who has always existed. He's the first and he's also the last. If he's the eternal God, he knows everything that would take place. He understood fully, more than anyone else could understand, what these believers in Smyrna were facing. He had been alive through history and saw history even before it happened. Nothing surprised him. He had seen persecution and knew when persecution would come. He can write encouraging words to someone better than anybody else because he is the first in the last. Who would you rather hear encouraging words from? Somebody that's just like you or the eternal God, (laughs) the one that knows all things, that understands all things. So he writes encouraging words to them from the standpoint of being the eternal everlasting God. He also sends encouraging words based upon this, encouraging words we have here from the one who is still standing. Look what the Bible says, who died And came to life again. I alluded to this last week. Aren't you glad it doesn't say I was alive and now I'm dead? Instead, in chapter 1, he told us he's the one that was dead and was alive. Here he writes to this group of believers that's facing persecution in Smyrna. And he writes from the standpoint of being the one who is still standing. The one who himself understood fully what it was to face persecution. The Bible said he came unto his own and his own received him not. The Bible said he came to his own people and they refused to receive him. They rejected him. The Bible gives us instance upon instance of the ridicule and the attitude and the antagonism that people had against Jesus as he was here on the earth doing his earthly ministry. Jesus understood from a firsthand experience what it was to be persecuted all the way to the point of death because they persecuted Jesus until they saw him nailed to a cross and buried, and they thought they were done with him. But you see, he's not the one that just died. He's the one that came to life again. So Jesus writes being the one who is on the other side of persecution. He's on the other side of understanding what it is to suffer. He's on the other side of being afflicted. He's on the other side of all that because, yes, they nailed him to a cross, and yes, they put him in a tomb, but on the third day, he took his life back up, and he's the one that's still standing. They thought they were done with him, but he's still walking around. They thought they got him to shut his mouth, but he's still talking. And Jesus, from the standpoint of the one that is the individual that's still standing, writes to them, and I think Jesus phrasing it like this more or less is telling this group of believers in Smyrna that's being persecuted, that's going through affliction and problems, I think Jesus is more or less saying this. Remember who you've trusted in. Remember what they did to me. Remember they nailed me to a cross. Remember that they buried me. But I want you to take note of something, believers that are following me. I'm still standing. So what you need to do is put your trust in me. And whatever they do to you, guess what? Because of your faith in me, you're going to come out on the other side of it. He's telling these believers at Smyrna, even if they take your life, because I'm the resurrection and the life, if you believe in me, you'll be the one also that still standing on the other side 
of persecution. He writes to them from that standpoint as being the one who had been persecuted himself, even to the point of death, but he writes to them to encourage them. Secondly, today, we've got encouraging words also from the one who completely knows what you're going through. Encouraging words from the individual, from the person that completely knows, totally knows what you're going through. Jesus knows all things. There's not anything you'll ever face in your life that will surprise Jesus. There's not any circumstance that will ever arrive, and Jesus will scratch his head and say, I didn't know you were going to face that. I didn't know you were going to go through that. Jesus here sends them encouraging words, and he's the one that completely knows what you are going through. He completely knew what these believers in Smyrna were going through. Look what he said in verse 9. I know your afflictions and your poverty, yet you're rich. I know the slander of those who say they are Jews and are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. Jesus didn't say, I'm surprised by this. Jesus said, I understand what you're going through. I know where you are. I know what you're facing. I know the persecution that exists. I understand everything that you're facing. To begin with, Jesus told them this, I know your afflictions. I know your afflictions. The word for afflictions basically means distresses. I understand what you're going through. I understand what you're facing. He's telling this group of persecuted believers in Smyrna. He said, I understand the difficulty that it is to stand for me there. Whatever you're going through, I know about it. We need to put our difficulties in that type of perspective. Jesus knows whatever you're facing. You know what we tend to do? We tend to go on pity parties, don't we? When we get in a difficult situation, well, just no one knows what I'm going through. No one cares. I beg your pardon. Jesus does. Jesus knows exactly what you're facing. He knew exactly what these believers in this place called Smyrna were facing. The word Smyrna, by the way, means this in the Greek. It means bitter, and it's related to the word myrrh, which was a fragrance. And what would happen when they would try and bring fragrance uh, about from something called myrrh, it would have to be crushed in order to release the smell of it. When you would crush it, it would enhance the odor. And that's the picture that's being given here. Smyrna was a place that believers would be crushed. Smyrna was a place that as they're being crushed, they would be more pure and more beautiful and more fragrant in the nostrils of Christ because of what they were going through and what they were facing. Guys, look at church history. The church has always been more pure and more beautiful and and more dedicated when they are being crushed and when they are going through persecution than when we are spoiled like we are so often in America today. It was a place where Christians were being crushed, and yet they were giving forth this fragrant odor to the nostrils of God. Smyrna was a pagan city. It was set up to worship many false gods. They had several temples there. They had a temple to Zeus. Uh, They had one to Aphrodite, one to Apollo. They had even been approved by the Roman government uh, to build, I think it was AD 23 or something like that, to, to build a temple that would be there to worship the emperor of Rome, whoever Caesar was. They built one especially for that. And it was a place that was well known for something called the cult of the emperor worship or emperor worship. They would worship Caesar as though he were a man god. 
And in with all these situations, in with all the idol worship that was taking place and the false worship of false gods, there would be persecution that would come about as a result of that. You see, people who refused to worship the emperor could be put to death. People who refused to worship the emperor could have their rights to do business taken away from them. There could be all types of persecution that could happen. Once a year, it was required that people would burn incense dedicated to the emperor. And if you fail to burn that incense and you fail to say, Caesar is Lord, then you could be even put to death, arrested, persecuted in some way because you failed to burn incense. They would actually give you a certificate to prove that you did it. That you on that annual date had burned incense to the emperor and that you on that annual date had worshipped him as though he was God. And basically this is taking place. Laws are being passed that they knew up front the Christians could not in good conscience keep and that laid the foundation for persecution to take place in Smyrna because of all the rules that were taking place, all the laws that were taking place that set them up for being persecuted. The Apostle John himself, who writes this letter, inspired of God, is reported that he was boiled in oil and survived. And then after that, he was exiled to the Isle of Patmos. John himself was highly involved here at the church at Smyrna. He himself knew what it was to face persecution. Jesus looked at these believers, and Jesus is telling them, I know your afflictions. Jesus said, I also know your poverty. He said, in your poverty. This was a very affluent city. This was a major marketplace, a major place of commerce. So why then, in a city like that, with a booming economy, why would these Christians have been in poverty? Here's why. They weren't jumping through the hoops of the Roman government. They were not worshiping the emperor as though he were God. They had several trade guilds set up in the city. And if you violated any of the rules that they had in that trade guild, they could tell you, no, you won't have a license to practice business. No, we won't hire you because you're a Christian. No, we won't hire you because you're one of those troublemakers that are following Jesus. You're not willing to worship our emperor. You're not willing to go to our other temples of worship. So because of that, we will not give you a job. So that meant many of the believers there were having to try and be self-employed. And it also meant this. The people that did not like them would not buy from them. And it was only a small group of believers. And that's why they were in poverty. Because they lost the right to be involved in commerce in that city. When they would be taxed every year, once a year the people had to bring their taxes to the temple of the emperor. And there they had to sign an allegiance as they brought their taxes to the emperor as being their deity or their lord. Laws that these Christians could not in good conscience follow. And because they refused to, it caused them to be in poverty. If they fail to go and bring their taxes and say, Caesar is our God, Caesar is our Lord, they could have all of their earthly possessions confiscated. That's why these believers 
were in poverty. And Jesus said, I know you're in poverty. But Jesus didn't just stop there. Did you see what else he said? Yet you are rich. It ought to bless a lot of us because a lot of us here that I know of are not necessarily rich by the world standards. And some of you may be struggling just to make it by. You need to understand something. If you know Christ is your Savior, no matter where you are in this world, in the status in this world, you are rich. You have something in Christ that will last you for all eternity. If you had the biggest bank vault in this world filled with all the gold and all the platinum and all the jewels and everything else, guess what? It's going to disappear one day. You can't take it with you when you die. And the Bible talks about a new heaven and a new earth and all that junk that we think so much of is going to be burned up and gone. Guess what? The only thing that lasts is your relationship with Jesus. If you know Jesus Christ, you are rich. That's what he's telling these believers. He's letting them know they are rich. Look at what Revelation tells us in chapter 3, verse 17. You say, I am rich. Here he's talking about the Laodicean church. Look at the contrast between them and the church at Smyrna. He says, you say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. Man, that sounds like our culture today, doesn't it? I'm kind of a self-made man, a self-made individual. I've got all this stuff. I don't really need God to help me. I, I don't need to be dependent on God. I just depend upon my own ability and my own wealth. You say, I am rich. I have acquired wealth and do not need a thing. But you do not realize that you are wretched, pitiful, poor, blind, and naked. And in contrast, Jesus looked at this small group of persecuted believers who were living in poverty in Smyrna, and he says, you might think that you're poor, but you're really rich. Look what James tells us. Listen, my dear brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom he promised those who love You want to really be a rich person? Find it in faith in Christ. Find it in your relationship to Him because that's all that will last. Jesus said this to these believers also. He said, I know your affliction. I know your poverty. But then He says, I know that you've been slandered. I understand that people are putting you down. I understand that people are talking about you. He said, I know the slander of those who say they are Jews. And are not, but are a synagogue of Satan. See, there was a smear campaign taking place in this city against Christians. And it was a place not just to where the Roman Empire and, and, and the worship of idols and false gods was taking place. There was a large Jewish population in the city too. And it was the Jews that did not like the Christians or the Christian message. It was the Jews that wanted to depend upon being right with God based upon circumcision and the law and works and things like that. So they were part of a smear campaign trying to hurt these Christians. And then the more the wrong message was put out about these Christians, the more the persecution would take place in their lives. See, just from history, we know this. From history, we know 
that they were accused of being cannibals sometimes. Because, you see, we talk about partaking of the body in the blood of Jesus. We understand that, but that opened up the door for people that wanted to have a smear campaign to say they're talking about being cannibals. They're talking about eating somebody's flesh and drinking somebody's blood. That's not what it meant, but that's the smear campaign. That's what was being put out about them. They were accused of being atheists because they refused to go to the temples in that city and worship in the temples in that city. So they were being accused of being atheists. They were being accused of sexual immorality because they talked about loving each other and having a love relationship with each other. And people were taking that out as a smear campaign and saying they must be doing things they shouldn't be doing. They're talking about loving each other and having love with each other and love feasts with each other. Every opportunity that the enemy could find, they would do this smear campaign. You see, here's the deal with that. Jesus said they say they're Jews, but they're not. He said they're really a synagogue of Satan. Isn't that tragic that someone who thinks they're right with God, Jesus says they're really involved in worshiping Satan, in following Satan, in being part of Satan's devices. Look at some verses that deal with this. Look at the next. Paul wrote this. If you belong to Christ... Then you're Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Just being a Jew racially or nationally did not mean that you are really of Abraham's seed. Paul is saying the way that you are truly of Abraham's seed is being a person of faith. If you belong to Christ, you are are Abraham's seed and your heirs according to the promise. You're not right with God simply because of your background, simply because of your heritage, simply because you were born a Jew. Look what he also said in John chapter 8 and verse 42 through 44. Jesus said to them, talking to this religious crowd, if God were your father, you would love me. See, the issue with these Jews at Smyrna, who were carrying out the smear campaign against Christians and causing them to be persecuted, is that they didn't love Jesus. That's why they're the synagogue of Satan. Jesus said, if God were your father, you would love me, for I came from God and now am here. I have not come on my own, but he sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? In other words, why don't you understand? Why won't you believe what I'm saying? Because you're unable to hear what I say. And here's why. Jesus looked at a very religious crowd and he said this, you belong to your father, the devil. That's what he said to a very religious group of Jews. And these Jews in Smyrna who are carrying out a smear campaign against those believers there and causing them to be more and more persecuted. Jesus said, you're not really a person of faith. You're not really a Jew. You're of the synagogue of Satan. Third thing I want you to get this morning, third type of encouraging words or group of encouraging words is this. We also find in this passage of Scripture encouraging words from the one who knows your future. That ought to comfort us some. That means there's never one thing that's going to happen in my my life that will surprise Jesus. 
There is never one thing that you will face that will surprise Jesus. He fully knows because he is fully God. He fully knows your future. He knew what the people in Smyrna were about to face. And Jesus writes to them some encouraging words that might not seem like they're very encouraging to start with. Look what I said in verse number 10 through 11. Do not be afraid of what you are about to suffer. Jesus is speaking future tense. He's telling them what's about to happen. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. And you will suffer persecution for 10 days. Be faithful even to the point of death. And I will give you the crown of life. Verse 11 says this. And we'll come back to verse 11 right at kind of the end of the message. But verse 11 says, He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. He who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. He's speaking in the future tense to these believers. He's telling them what they are about to face. Might not seem very encouraging to start with, but it winds up being very encouraging. To begin with, Jesus deals with the reality of persecution. With the reality of persecution, he's letting them know that it will happen. He said, do not be afraid of what you're about to suffer. I tell you, the devil will put some of you in prison to test you. He's allowing them to understand that persecution is going to be a real fact. They were already going through persecution. Jesus, more or less, is letting them know, hey, it's about to get worse. You are going to face this stuff. Persecution is a very, very Real issue. I'm afraid we're so detached from that today in our culture and in the church in America, we can't begin to understand what that means. I plan on saying this later. I'm just going to say it now because God brings it to mind. There there are actually believers in other places in the world today. My wife was listening to a radio program the other day. I think it was James Dobson, Focus on the Family. And they were interviewing some missionaries that had been in China. And some people in China in the church there told our missionaries, we are praying for the church in America. And they asked, why and how are you praying for the church? And they said, we are praying that the church in America will face persecution. Because if the church in America faces persecution, it will make the church Stronger. I'm going to read a good bit of things to you right now because I want to be sure I cover them. I want you to understand not just what happened to the believers in Smyrna, but all over Asia Minor. The time period that is about to happen is considered... Uh, by, by most theologians and Bible scholars, the, the time of Roman persecution against the church. Will, will you listen to some of what happened? Because I'm afraid we're living in la-la land in America. In 
During this time of Roman persecution of the church, an estimated 5 million Christians were killed, murdered for their faith. Their bodies were torn apart on racks. Their fingernails were pulled off. They were hung by their thumbs, sometimes for days. They were wrapped in animal skins and thrown to hungry dogs or fed alive to lions. They had their brains bashed out with clubs. They were thrown to bulls to be gored and trampled by bulls. They were boiled alive, both in oil and sometimes in water. They were thrown alive from cliffs or tall buildings. They were tied alive to metal racks. And then put over an open flame and roasted like you would use a rotisserie today. They had red hot plates of metal tied to their bodies. They were burned at the stake. They were hung in trees with fires built and slowly cooked alive. Sometimes they were placed in large fabric bags that contained snakes and scorpions. They were tied to large rocks and tossed alive into the sea. They were crowned with thorns, crucified and run through with spears. Some had their joints dislocated and allowed to suffer for days before being killed. They were beheaded. They were scourged, beaten until their sinews and their veins lay bare. They were covered with tar and set on fire to be a candle to provide light in the gardens for their pagan festivals that were taking place. Nero once had Christians brought in for a party he was throwing, and he had wax put on their bodies and tar put on their bodies, and he set them alive on fire and burned their bodies through the night to provide light for his party. It didn't matter if they were male or female, old or young, children. All that matters was that they were Christians. In 257 A.D., the first act of the new emperor in that time period was to put to death all the Christian pastors in Rome. A whole legion of Roman soldiers in 286 A.D. were put to death because every man in that particular legion were Christians. They were getting ready to be taken on a military campaign against a city where a lot of Christians were. And they had gathered together all the armies, all the legions, getting ready to go for this campaign. And during the ceremonies, getting ready to go to the battle, they had to swear allegiance to Caesar, as Caesar being their God. And this legion refused to do so. There were 6,666 men in this legion. Caesar had them to pull one-tenth out of the legion, and he put one-tenth to death, thinking that would convince the rest of them they better renounce their faith in Christ. It didn't work. They pulled out another tenth and put another tenth to death, and it still didn't work. And he became so frustrated, he ordered all the rest of the army to hack to death all 6,666 men in that legion because they had faith in Christ. 
They didn't have to go through those things. All they had to do was just say that, no, I've changed my mind. I don't believe in Jesus. I'm not going to trust in Him. But you see, that's what they could not do. Because they loved Christ and they had sworn their allegiance to Christ. All these believers that we just talked about, they could have avoided that type of persecution if they had just said, no, I'm, I think I'll do what you're telling me to do. I think I'll say Caesar is God or I'll worship the way you want me to instead of worshiping Christ. I will renounce my faith in Christ. But they did not. And those people, multitudes over years, went through that type of persecution. There's a man by the name of Polycarp who was the bishop of Smyrna, the city that we're looking at today. Years after this letter was written, Polycarp, some say it could have been 156 A.D., some think it might have been as late as 180-something A.D., but history gives us a report of Polycarp being arrested in old age after he had served Jesus for 86 years. He is arrested, he is tried, He is sentenced to be burned at the stake. The only thing they told him to do was this. If you will renounce your faith in Jesus, if you will say Caesar is Lord, we will release you and not put you at the stake. Polycarp replied, 86 years have I served him, and he never once wronged me. How can I blaspheme my king who saved me. I wish we had time in this setting to read to you the rest of the prayer that he prayed. But after he prayed that prayer, and he refused to say Caesar is Lord, they tied his hands and they took him up to the stake. And they were getting ready to nail him to the stake, and he told them, you don't need to nail me. I won't run. I will stand here. Because he counted it a privilege to die as a martyr for Jesus. And what we're told from Fox's Book of Martyrs, whether or not we can prove it all to be historically correct, but it's passed down tradition that when they lit the fire, the flames, instead of burning his body to begin with, formed an arch around his body. And when the executioner saw that, the executioner stepped into where he was at and stabbed him in the heart with a dagger. And the report was, at that moment, some people saw something that looked like a dove come out of the flames, And so much blood came out of his body that it extinguished the fire that they had set. They had to reset the fire and burn his body after that. We've got it pretty good in America, don't we? You see, I've I've researched and researched and read this, and I've read it before, but every time I read this and I look back at what believers suffer for Jesus' sake, I just wonder about us in America. We'll get frustrated sometimes over things in ministry and want to throw up our hands and quit. Just over being frustrated over something. 
This morning, you know, Daryl came down the steps. He kind of shook his head, and I could tell he was a little bit frustrated about something. And he said, well, I think the, the main refrigerator, the large one upstairs, the commercial one, the compressor must have gone out on it because everything in is hot and stuff like that. So, you know, I go up, I'm looking at it, and we've not had it all that long and, and everything. So I'm kind of getting frustrated over that. And uh, that's just an example from this morning. But you know how easy it is to get frustrated in your life? You don't know how many times you, as a pastor you can get frustrated and some of you get frustrated in what you do. And sometimes we just want to throw our hands up and quit. Sometimes we do quit. These people didn't quit. At the cost of shedding their own blood and losing their lives, they didn't quit. They didn't give up. These people suffered and bled and died for Jesus' sake. Honest guys, I am, I'm, afraid to, I'm afraid in America today, as bad as it is when you look at how many people really attend church as opposed to unchurched people in America today, I'm afraid of this type of persecution hit. You want to see the church attendance really take a nosedive? I'm afraid that's what would happen to start with. Because a lot of people that just come for the entertainment or to see their friends or whatever reason they come, they're not showing up if they might lose their life. And it will drop down to this core of believers that are willing to lose their life. But you know what? That might be fine because, as I said, people in churches and other parts of the world are praying that we face persecution. So we'll have a stronger church. Just maybe that would set our souls on fire for Jesus. The reality of persecution. You might be saying, well, where's the encouraging words? You said we're talking about encouraging words. But not only did Jesus talk about the reality of persecution, he talked about the brevity of persecution. He said, you will suffer persecution for 10 days. And 10 days are debatable. Some people think it was talking about a specific time period that maybe 10 days of persecution happened. But when you look at the way the Greek language uses 10 days, it can talk about 10 literal days. It can talk about 10 years. It can talk about 10 periods of time. And we know there were 10 main periods of persecution that happened to the church over the years that I read a moment ago. But whatever the meaning is, that Jesus intended by using the word 10 days, we know one thing for sure. He's saying there's a time that it begins, and thank God there's a time that it will end. There's a time that suffering will start. There's a time you'll be persecuted, but there's a time that persecution will be over with. There's a brevity to it. And guys, in light of eternity, if from this day until the day that you and I die, we were to start facing persecution in America, that is still brief in light of all eternity with Jesus Christ. Be encouraged because if persecution does come, and before you start deluding yourself, and I may come back to this in the end, but God brings it to mind now, so I feel like I need to say it now too. Before you start deluding yourself, and just I, I'm afraid this is what the church has bought into a lot in America. Well, I'm saved, and I'm going out when the rapture happens, so I'm not going to go through the great tribulation. Hey, 
Tell that to people right now in other parts of the world that are being persecuted. Irregardless of what your end time theology might be and what your idea of the end times might be, there is no guarantee that we will not go through extreme persecution. Whether it's going through the tribulation or we get out on the front side of the tribulation, whatever your doctrine is, go talk to believers in other parts of the world who are dying for their faith now. It's not the great tribulation right now, and yet they are dying. So it can happen to us in America. And I'm telling you up front, guys, the seeds are being planted in America today for Christians to be persecuted. Don't think that it can't happen. It can, but if it does, thank God the brevity of it is true. No matter how long it might be, in light of being with Jesus forever, it's a drop in the bucket. It's just a little bit of persecution Ten days in light of being with him forever. You want some more encouragement as he talks about persecution? Not just the brevity of persecution, but the victory over persecution. Look what Jesus said. Be faithful even to the point of death, and I will give you the crown of life. Some translations say be faithful unto death. I heard Kenneth Ryden years ago as he was preaching this same text that we're looking at today. And Kenneth, who uh, is, some of you have had the chance to hear, just a great Bible expositor. And Kenneth was president up at Fruitland, I think retired maybe about a year ago. But uh, Kenneth just had chances to preach all over the place. He's a kind of eloquent preacher. When you hear and you're a young preacher and he alliterates every word, kind of like Stephen Olford, you kind of say, oh, I want to be like that, you know. And Kenneth was preaching this text, and Kenneth says there's all the difference in the world between saying be faithful until death and being faithful unto death. Because being faithful until death just simply means you can be faithful all your life and die a natural death. Being faithful unto death means you are being faithful in light of your own impending death because of your testimony to Jesus. That's why the NIV puts it like this. Be faithful even to the point of death. Be faithful even to the instant that they're ready to burn you at the stake. They're ready to feed you to the lions. They're ready to crucify you. No matter what the threat might be, Jesus is telling these believers in Smyrna to be faithful to the point of death. Don't recant your faith in me at death. Don't give up simply because you're threatened by death. He's telling them to keep Holding on to your faith, even if it takes you to the point of death. And here's why. He said, I will give you the crown of life. Smyrna was also famous for their uh, athletic games. They were big and huge on sports. They might have had some better teams than the Panthers to pull for or something. I don't know. But they would give this victor's wreath to the person that won the race. Some people believe this might be an allusion to a temple that's set up on top of a mountain there in Smyrna, that they thought that was kind of their crown of the city. But here's the contrast. No matter what kind of worldly crown the world might can give, no matter what kind of temple the world might can build on a hill and say, look at us, it doesn't compare with the crown of life that Jesus promises believers. 
See, here's the deal. Let them take your life. Let them kill you for the sake of Jesus. Jesus says, I'm giving you a crown of life, eternal life forever and ever. Don't give up. Don't stop. Don't back away from following me simply because of persecution. He promises to give them a crown of life. Paul said this in Romans 8, 18. The sufferings of this present moment are not to be compared with the glory that shall be revealed in us. So what does this mean for us today? I mean, all this information, all this stuff we've talked about. How are we supposed to apply it? What are we supposed to do with this message? I want to suggest to you the same thing I told you last week. Look at verse 11 again. He who has an ear to hear. This is told every one of the churches in all seven of these letters to the seven churches. He who has an ear... Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So what are we supposed to do with this passage of Scripture? With the message that we've just dealt with together here? Here's what we're supposed to do. We're supposed to listen. We're supposed to open up our ears and our hearts and our minds. And we're supposed to listen to what God, by His Spirit, wants to say to us. We need to listen as day three church. You need to listen as an individual believer. You need to tune in your ears and listen to what God is saying here. In other words, listen right now and evaluate your own life. Are you doing anything in your life right now? Let's say real strong persecution existed in America right now. Very strong persecution. Are you doing enough for Jesus in your life that they would even persecute you for it? Are you known enough by the people that you work with? Are you known enough by your family? Are you known enough in your community, as someone that loves Jesus and is going to follow Jesus and serve Jesus, are you doing enough for Jesus to where if persecution were going on, you would be persecuted, or would they not even see you because you're just flying underneath the radar because you're not doing anything much for Christ? You're kind of being a silent majority and not saying anything or doing anything or serving Jesus. Maybe evaluate your own life this morning. Listen and ask yourself if you have an authentic, real relationship with Jesus Christ. Listen and ask yourself if you know Him. Listen and ask yourself, do you love Him? Do you love Him enough that if persecution were to hit, you'd keep loving Him and you'd keep serving Him no matter what would happen? And before you answer that really quick, here's a, here's, this one might hurt a little bit, but here's a way to make it maybe a little bit more real because it's easy for us to say right now, well, if they were to come and say, worship some false god instead of worshiping Jesus, I'll let them kill me. 
That's the macho thing. It's easy for us to say. Do you love Jesus to say no to whatever you're being tempted to in your life right now? Do you love him enough to let him have first place in your life now? Regardless of whether you're being persecuted enough, do you love him enough to let him be first in your life right now? Because here's probably the deal with that. If you don't love him that much right now, let him be first in your life. If they're about to burn you at the stake, I don't know you'll love him enough to let them burn you at the stake for Jesus' sake. It's easy to go to the mantra thing. Oh, yeah, let them threaten my life. I'll stay with Jesus. Are you staying with Jesus now? Do you love him enough to read your Bible now? Not while you're at church on your own. Do you love him enough to spend time in prayer with Jesus now? Do you love him enough to want to know him more now? Then Jesus gives us this great promise. He says, he who overcomes will not be hurt at all by the second death. What is the second death? Well, read your Bible and you'll find out, but let me show you a verse that will tell you that. Revelation chapter 20, verse 14, then death and Hades were thrown into the lake of fire, and the lake of fire is the second death. So he's saying, if if you believe in Christ, if you have a real relationship with Christ, if you're really an authentic believer, the type that stays with him no matter what you're facing, he said, if you're real, if you're authentic, here's the deal with that. There's going to be a judgment that takes place. There's going to be people thrown into the lake of fire forever and ever and ever. But if you've received my son, if you're an authentic Christian, you're not going to be hurt at all by that. You're not going to be touched by the second death. You want to know why? If you're really a Christian, you've already died. The Apostle Paul said, I'm crucified with Christ and yet I live. The moment I received Christ as my Savior, I should have died to myself and you should have died to yourself. That's why we're not touched by the second death. You could phrase it like this. Look at this next slide. Those who are born twice will die only once. What do I mean by that? You're physically born and then you're spiritually born again when you trust in Christ as your Savior. And if that's who you are, you only die once. And some of us may not die once. We go out in a thing called the rapture. But the other side of it is this. Those born only once will die twice. Because if they've never received Christ as their Savior, yes, they face physical death, but they face the second death of the lake of fire for all eternity so this morning do you know without any doubt that Christ is your Savior do you know that and if you do what are you doing right now to serve him do you have enough of a reputation of being a Christian if persecution were real right now in America would it hit you let's pray Father, Lord, I pray right now you'd especially help each person here to evaluate whether or not they authentically know you, whether or not they have come to you, admitting their sin and trusting in Christ 
as their only chance, their only hope, their only way of forgiveness, their only means of salvation, their only entrance to heaven. Father, if there's anyone here that does not know that, right now, in this moment, give them the faith to say yes to Jesus. The Jesus who knows more than anyone else what it is to suffer, to be persecuted. The Jesus that went to the cross and died for our sins. Give them faith in that Jesus. And Father, for those of us that know Him, God, challenge our hearts right now. Father, I pray that you'd encourage us. I know in this number of people, there's bound to be someone here that's discouraged. And and Lord, right now, they they may even feel guilty about what they've been discouraged over in light of, of the persecution that people have faced in this world for your name's sake. But God, if there are those here today that need encouragement, Help them to find it in your words. Help them to understand that you're the one that knows everything that they're facing. You know their affliction. You know their poverty. You know, Lord, maybe how they've been slandered. You know what they're facing. But God, you're also the one that knows their future. And you know that if they have trusted in your son, that they have a future with you for all eternity. So, Father, help us that know that today, to celebrate that and be encouraged by the relationship that we have with you. Father, speak to our hearts this morning about being so spoiled as Christians in America. God, sometimes we're not much better than just little spoiled brats in your family. Forgive us when we want to give up so quickly in the face of such light affliction and remind us and challenge us by the faith of these believers who died for Jesus, for their faith, for their testimony. God, I pray you help us as believers right now to pray And ask you to invest the strength in our lives that will allow us to stand if persecution comes our way. God, I pray that you'd call us as believers to be doing enough for serving Jesus. That we would actually be persecuted if persecution does come. For it's in Christ's name we ask it. Amen. There's really a, a many ways the invitation might need to be applied to your life today. First and foremost, if you don't know Christ as your Savior, please don't leave without Him. I mean, even if you're unsure if you're ready, if you just have some questions about what it means, I would love to help you. We'll have others here available to help you. We would love to tell you more about what it means to trust in Christ. But beyond that, if you're not doing enough to serve Jesus that people around you would think, that's a Christian, we need to report them to this government that's persecuting Christians. Maybe you need to come today and pray and say, God, help me to do enough that I would actually be persecuted if it were to hit in America. That's a tough prayer. I'll be honest with you, that's a tough prayer. 
But I think if we're going to be honest and be who we need to be for the Savior that loved us enough to die for us, we ought to be willing to stand for Him and suffer for Him. So maybe you need to come and say, God, help me to be known enough by people around me as a Christian that if persecution were to come, they would come knocking on my door. Maybe you need to come this morning and just pray over something that from this message, from seeing these other people suffer, from what Jesus said to them that encouraged you. Maybe you need to come and pray and just find some encouragement. And just maybe today as the band plays, and I, I honestly think probably all of us need to pray this prayer this morning if you know Christ is your Savior. And it wouldn't hurt us one bit to step out from where we are and come here to the front and kneel. And I'm going to challenge you to do that for this reason. There are Christians dying for their faith across this world. I want to challenge you to come and pray for them. Pray for them and what they are going through. Pray that they will stand faithful for Jesus themselves as they face persecution. God speaks to your heart. Will you please come? You are listening to Sermon Audio from Day 3 Church. If you have any questions about God, faith, or our church, email us at info at dayfreechurch.com. And for more information, find us on the web at dayfreechurch.com.